If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So the gospel this morning is fascinating. We've got heaven and hell on display. We rarely see that. We've got some guy in heaven calling up to, or some guy in hell calling up to heaven. It was interesting that Father Wesley pointed out after I preached the second time. So I wonder if he was listening the first time. But he pointed out this one thing that, that I didn't that I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't get. And it's it's always fascinating in, uh, when you when someone illuminates the scripture for you. Notice that that uh, the rich man calls up and says, hey, have Lazarus do such and such. And when Abraham says no, he says, well, then have him do such and such again. I mean, Lazarus is still that guy at the gate, right? Not really. Lazarus has got his head rested on Abraham's chest and uh, the, uh, the rich man is down there in, in, uh, in hell, as it were. And there's all kinds of different directions that you could take this, couldn't you? All kinds of questions that you could ask of the text. But I want to give you a very simple hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutics are the rules of interpretation. Okay, big word, but that's all it means. It's how do you interpret something? For instance, um, is every example in the Bible a command? I hope not, or else uh, I should have built an ark a long time ago. Right? That's a rule of interpretation. The reason why you don't go out and build an ark, just because you read one guy did it, doesn't mean that you do it. Okay? So when Jesus, and this is particularly applicable to the gospel, when you, when you read Jesus preaching to a bunch of illiterate fishermen, okay, the point is like a cymbal crash at the end of an Italian opera. Okay, that's the point. Time to applaud. It's very simple. Because he's speaking to simple people. And so the point is, is that if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets translated into the New Testament, they don't believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not going to believe if they saw a miracle. That's the great cry of the atheist and doubter and skeptic and fool of our day. I'm reminded of uh, the debate between Greg Bonson and Gordon Stein, the ACLU lawyer, and he was over there and he said, Mr. Bonson, if, uh, if you could just uh, perform some miracle like this uh, podium could just levitate for a little while and then set back down. I would, uh, I would believe, and Bonson responded, no, you wouldn't. Well, you would, uh, you, even though you couldn't explain it, uh, you'd say, well, there's some natural explanation that we have yet to find, but we'll find it in the future, such as the optimism of the fool. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that, is that faith doesn't come from miracles. In fact, Lazarus, the real Lazarus, this is just the Lazarus in a story that Jesus made up. But the real Lazarus was raised from the dead in Jericho just before the triumphal entry. So he's working his way up the hill, up into, the, up into Jerusalem. And there's Lazarus. Mary and Martha, you remember the story. And don't open the tomb. By this time he stinketh. He'd been in there for like three, four days. He says, don't open the tomb. He's, he's gotten rotten by now. It'll be awful. Jesus says, open that tomb. Lazarus come out. Lazarus comes out like a mummy, still wearing the grave clothes. 
And the disciples were in awe. And Mary and Martha were in awe. And I'm sure Lazarus didn't know what was going on. You know, there were other people there too. See, the Pharisees had come down from Jerusalem to see, you know, Jesus. And when they saw that miracle, what did they say? Did they fall on their knees and say, my Lord and my God, like Thomas? No, they said, we've got to figure out a way to kill this guy. They saw a miracle. They saw Jesus raise a dead man. Didn't make him a believer at all. It did quite the opposite. It made him a God-hater, a God-murderer. Miracles do not make a person a believer. What then does make a person a believer? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us. Faith, I'm sorry, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Quite simply, it's the foolishness of preaching, as Paul says in another place. The foolishness of preaching, and not just in the pulpit, when you talk to a friend, when you give a, hope for the, a reason for the hope that you have within you, a neighbor, a, a loved one, whoever, we all, we all have our moments to preach the gospel. And it's simply the preaching of the message. And it works faith in some hearts and not faith in other hearts. So then I have a question for you. Is this a gathering of the smartest people in Annapolis? I mean, seriously. We don't even have, the pews aren't even full. There's a lot of people in Annapolis. And granted, there's some of them maybe at other houses of worship, but I doubt seriously if they're all, they all just ran out to church this morning. But is this the gathering of the smartest people in Annapolis? No, no, it's not. For you see, the Apostle Paul says again in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So you see, even your faith, you're not so smart. I know I'm not so smart. I'm certainly not so good. Your faith is a gift of God. It is grace that you're here today. It is grace that when you heard the gospel that you believed. It is all, all grace. All of grace. And so where is the room for pride? Where is there room for pride in that? Well, not at all. There is no room for pride. There's no room for pride in Lazarus up in heaven on Abraham's bosom. And sure, circumstances. There are plenty of poor people that hate God. Okay? Filled with envy. Even pride. No, in fact, there's no room for pride in the Christian heart. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. Pride is the arch sin. It is the genesis of sin. It is the beginning of sin. It is to be avoided. It is to be destroyed within our hearts. Lucifer himself what did he say? He was the most beautiful creature that God had ever made. The most powerful of the angels. The most beautiful and powerful. And what did he say? I am like God. And Michael, who was an archangel, but less than him. So the fact that Michael beats him up and throws him out of heaven, that in and of itself is a degradation for him. 
right? For Lucifer. What does Michael's name mean? It's a question. Who is like God? It is an answer to that pride. And of course, no one is like God but God. So if pride is the arch sin, then humility is the greatest of all and the beginning of all virtues. It is, it is what we must always, always strive for, is humility. We can never have too much of it. We, can, we, we, we really can't. It can, never, it can never penetrate our heart as deeply as it should. You think of the greatest saint who ever lived, the Blessed Virgin Mary. There is no greater saint than her, according to the Scriptures. What is her character? What is her prime characteristic of her character? Humility. What do we say of our Lord Jesus Christ? That he is meek and humble of heart. Humility, humility, humility. There is a saying... I remember my father saying it, but I remember it just being a, just a kind of a thing that was said. I think you could even hear it on TV when I was a kid, maybe occasionally, such as TV is today. But it went like this, and it's not in the Bible, but it's still a really good, pious saying. But for the grace of God, there go I. I can hear some of you out there nodding your head. I can see you nodding your head, and you could, you could finish that. I tell you what, if I had a bunch of millennials in here right now, they'd be looking at me like, huh? Because they hadn't heard that. I'm sorry, did I have a millennial back there go like that? There you go, sorry. Oh, Never heard that before. But for the grace of God, there go I. What, what a great thing. What a great thing. It allows you to take pity, even on a rich man. Even on a rich man that treats you badly. You can take pity on him. But for the grace of God, there go I. Because you have no idea what his end will be. Um, in your bulletin, if you would open it, on page 19, there's always an activity when I preach, it seems like. There's a litany of humility. I'd like to read it to you. I'd like you to take it home. And if you dare, I'd like you to preach it. Or pray, I'll pray it. And I say dare because this is the kind of prayer that God answers. I'm reminded of that, that saying Wesley, Father Wesley told me, and I'm reminded of it from him, but when um, Augustine said, give me chastity, but just not yet. Like this, give me humility, but not too much humility. Right? Listen to this. Jesus meek. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being approved, Deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being despised, from, deliver me. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me. From the fear of being calumniated, that means spoken evil of, 
and, and lied about. Deliver me from the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me from the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me from the fear of being wronged. Deliver me from the fear of being suspected. Deliver me that others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire. As God answers this prayer that you pray, I hope, in your prayer closet, you will find a curious detachment from the things of this world. And that's a good thing. Detachment from this world means attachment to Christ. An attachment to Christ is what you need for the next stage of your journey. For all of us, whether it's next week or 30 years from now, all of us will cross that river someday and we want to be detached from the world and attached to Christ because we will be detached from the world. May Almighty God grant each and every one of us humble hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.